welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast. I promised a draft show, and it's very weird to do one on the day of free agency when a bunch of wild things are happening. Trust me, I have many opinions. Tommy has many opinions. We can get to them in short order, but one thing we like on Why Hockey is tradition, and it has now become tradition, it's three straight years, that our draft recap is going to feature our friend, Will Scout, just scouching. Have you ever done a draft recap show when free agency is happening? Uh, no, I have not, to be perfectly honest. I'm currently going through my own draft recap work, uh, just going through some notes and some guys I haven't seen coming out of the draft. And yeah, it's definitely, uh, there's a lot going on in my brain right now. <laughs> well, there's a lot going on in my brain too. I'm trying to yep. decide, what do I want to talk about? Uh, do I have to talk about why the Nick Cousins signing for the Panthers is a little problematic? <laughs> I'm going to have to do that, but on another show after I do proper prep for that. Or do I want to talk about another GM deciding that Eric Goodbranson deserves lots of money in term, and it happened to be a GM I like? Yes, it's funny how that happens. I mean, it's really funny because how I'm going, wow, there are a couple of moves today by GMs who I, I like, and I'm going, what on earth happened here? But again, we have to give you a little tease and we'll do that for the future now as we talk about the draft Tommy and I gave our quick summary of what we thought but Will Scouch knows more about the draft than I will ever know (laughs) so please elucidate your thoughts on what was I think one of the more wild drafts we've seen in recent years oh it was the last time I could think of a draft that had this much sort of chaos was maybe 2016 I think was the last time I we had a draft like this yeah I could see that yeah I see where you're coming from it was definitely strange I mean I spent a lot of time watching these guys and once this draft got to I'd say about six or seven all things considered I figured it would open up pretty quickly Um, some guys I thought might slip a little didn't quite slip as far as I thought they would some guys I had ranked pretty high, but was really soft on where I was like, well, you know, maybe I'm missing something here. They kind of slipped quite a bit, but I think, I think it did open up quite quickly. I mean, there's a lot, there was a few players that I clearly didn't value, like what NHL teams value, uh, valued them as uh, that, you know, towards the back half of the first round into the, into the second round kind of jumped in there. Um, But you know what? I think some teams did really, really well. I think a lot of teams had some good, isolation picks like a good pick here and a good pick there and a whole bunch of meh um which is typical i mean you know i I think the nhl draft never ever ever goes according to how people think it will and i think this year went even more uh against what people thought it was going to be it i have my theory about it and hear me out the last two drafts were done on zoom basically and there's things that can happen on zoom but when everybody hockey people get together and they get together in montreal of all cities they get a little um, loose, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, hey. you know, same, things go haywire. Yeah, I was in Montreal for the draft, and people were indeed quite loose. Uh, it was it was a very loose week. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know what you mean. I think that might be part of it. But I also, you know, I think with this draft class specifically and the trends that are occurring in the draft, like one thing I've noticed over the years with people and how they rank players Uh, at least on the public side, is that it's gotten a lot less predictable. I think what you're seeing is a lot of teams and individuals and outlets sort of forming their own philosophies on what they look for and what they are interested in, and they're getting better articulation in there. And I think the concept of like team fit and development is just as important as evaluation in the draft. And I think there were a few teams this year who maybe picked off of my board, but I could see how a development staff would be interested in them and how fixing their issues might unlock quite a bit. Uh, I always will err on the side of draft the guys that are already pretty well off and, and doing well already rather than hoping that they get to a certain point. But I totally understand that other other kind of philosophy. So I, I think the other thing too is that globally, you know, yes, we lost an OHL season and I think that had an effect on a lot of OHL guys. Um, but I think that what we're also seeing is the strength of the NTDP in the U.S. has become basically a normalcy. Like every year we're seeing a ton of NTDP guys going in the first round pretty much every year. Sweden, I think, uh, and Finland are more visible to North Americans, and I think they're getting more attention and, and more faith put in them by North American teams. Um, so I think just or we're seeing a lot more teams and countries and everything just 
evening up the playing field a little bit at the top and there isn't you know now there isn't it isn't as clear that there's this like clear cut top group then there's this clear cut next group of 10 and then there's this next clear group of whatever you know i think the nhl on as a whole has gotten a little bit better in terms of identifying talent and you know throwing aside biases at least early in the draft for the first little while um and i think it's become very unpredictable in that in that sense you know i think it's very down to the individual down to the individual teams and what they think they can do with a player i think it's also interesting because we've joked in the last couple years that certain teams have brands right yes. in their draft and, 100%. and and i again i'm not the longest term hockey fan but as long as i can remember i cannot remember we're, we're going into a draft going oh that's a very insert x team here pick like i'm not surprised they did such a thing caroline is the example of that that is in my mm -hmm. head at the moment like they've got a brand and they stick to it and mm -hmm. they got their voodoo and they do what they do and that's better for us honestly it gives us more to talk about and we've always complained about how hockey is too samey you know, and yep. less samey is better. And I think also, you know, you have teams that have different strengths. I mean, if you're looking for Florida, we'll talk about their draft at the end of the show because mm -hmm. it's not as quite as relevant, but you look at what they do, you know, they've got a really strong presence in Finland. They know that country extremely well because of who works on their staff, who Bill Zito is and what his background is, right? Like they haven't, like they know. And then you have other teams that will scout certain areas better than others. That's just a thing, right? And also, as we see front offices change, you can see approaches change and you see amalgamations and evolutions of different approaches and how teams apply analytics, you know, to what they do in the draft is interesting. Because as I, I, I make the point all the time on this show, I went and watched the Canucks Army, the computer boys, do a speech <laughs> on PCS at an analytics conference in DC seven years ago. And then you watched it in action. And again, some things are different to apply when you put it all together. So there's a lot that's interesting with the NHL draft. And it, I think it plays out in a year where things are more wide open. Maybe not so much next year, but we'll talk about next year in, in short order. We'll start at the top. We'll start with Uri uh, Slavkovsky uh, going over Shane Wright. I had an interesting text conversation with a buddy of mine who does not follow the NHL draft, but is a Kraken fan. And I was talking to him about Shane Wright. Uh, in the end, I don't think it's that surprising that Slavkovsky went one, even if some people are surprised by it. Uh, I think, for me, what put him over the top wasn't just that, you know, Shane Wright maybe lost a year of OHL development, but because Slavkovsky was such a big player for Slovakia and things people watched, right? Mm, the Olympics, yep. people watched that. They saw him. And in the Worlds, they saw him. You know, that's a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that put him over the top, but I mean, it gives you an extra layer, I think, that you don't have for Shane Wright, who reasonably lost a whole year of development because the OHL shut down. Yeah, I think with Slavkovsky, you're right. I think there was, I, th I think what the NHL really, really looks for, and I think it's something that I think is a little bit silly to look for, is, is big moment guys. Guys who, when the, the eyes are on them, they show up and they're the ones who are there, right? Like they're not looking for guys that can score 60 points in the, in the regular season or whatever, 70 points in the regular season. And then in overtime in a playoff game, they're nowhere to be found. I, I mean, I think that's an extraordinarily hard thing to predict. I think that's something that really depends on the situation. And, and, you know, I think good players are the ones who put themselves in that situation, but Slavkovsky, I mean, look, do I think Shane Wright could have played for the Canadian Olympic team this year, considering the quality of, of player in the tournament? I, I think that it, it wouldn't be that crazy of an idea. Could, could well, Shane... considering how much they played the young players for that team, maybe it wasn't a good idea. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. But I mean, like you look at the States, they brought Matt Nyes, they brought uh, Matty Beneers, they brought... Um, you know, they brought young guys and, and I think Shane Wright could have played in that tournament. I mean, you know, it, so it's, it's, it's really difficult to sort of gauge whether or not, you know, people, people look at those tournaments and go, well, look at how well Slavkovsky played. And you say, well, yeah, but a bunch of these other guys didn't play in those tournaments and those tournaments, the, the hockey quality was, you know, AHL level, maybe like not great. And you know, that's, he played very well. Uh, but I think with Slavkovsky, I mean, I've watched a lot of him over the course of the year. I think he got better as the year went on in terms of getting comfortable at the men's league level, just sort of comfortable at his own pace, not pushing things too hard, not taking the foot off the gas pedal much. 
you know, he's, he got a lot better moving pucks around the ice and, and just being a lot more comfortable in, in possession of the puck. You know, his big thing is he's going to be a really good possession player. Like just, you can't knock him off pucks. Even when you think you have, he's still there uh, holding onto the puck. And, and I see why he's coveted and I see why the Montreal Canadiens went that direction. I still just, I, you know, the only other player I think I reasonably would have targeted at number one is Logan Cooley, who I, I think serves a similar purpose as Shane Wright when it comes down to it at the NHL level, just does it with more creativity and flash and adaptive thinking on the fly where it's Shane Wright sort of likes to stay a step ahead of things, be a, be a more tactical approach to the game, read things a little bit better. And, you know, look, are, are the Montreal Canadiens going to regret their draft decision? I don't think so. I, I think that he's going to be a very, very good power winger for the for the for the for the foreseeable future. But I think that, you know, all of the teams at the top end, I, I, I've been saying it for months, like when we look back in a few years, I would not be shocked to see this draft look if you were to do a redraft look completely different with other guys maybe coming out from later in the draft or guys that were up at the top, maybe not quite performing up to what you would expect or, or what have you. Um, or, or, you know, there's always teams that just bungle the development of a player. Um, you know, you'll, you'll, ne- you'll, we'll never know until it happens, but you know, I, some people were shocked. I was surprised, but not shocked, I guess is what I could say. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at a, a, a tweet and that's so that was why I'm just trying to do both at the same time. It's not great, but we're going to multitask for me. I think, what I would describe Shane Wright as just for my very uneducated eye is Jack of all trades, master of none. And the way that I think some will justify the willingness to pass over him is because he is not exceptional at any one thing. And when you're at the top of the draft, teams look for something exceptional or that they can view to be exceptional, if that makes sense, right? Like when I look at drafts of recent years, you look at who goes number one, there's something exceptional about every player, even if they don't turn out to be the best player in that draft. I think in 2017, clearly, you'd take Heiskin and McCarr in a redraft over Easter and Patrick, obviously. But you're looking for something exceptional, right? Special. And I don't know if for some of the scouts out there, Shane Wright was doing anything special. He was really good at everything, but not exceptional at any one thing. Do you agree with that or... Is that yeah. just me, me from a position where I don't have as much evidence as you do just going like, that's what I, that's what I think I'm interpreting from the, uh, the lists and whatnot. Um, I, I think he has something very interesting. I think in terms of seeing the ice and understanding what needs to be done at any given moment when he's got the puck, especially that to me is pretty unique. I don't remember seeing that out of Owen power. I don't remember seeing that out of Matthew Beniers. I don't remember seeing that out of, you know, who else has gone really high in the last little while, Alexis Lafreniere, um, you know, even Jack Hughes, a lot of these guys are just brute force offensive skill guys. And Shane Wright was more of a tactician. And I think he sort of, I mean, look, he was a guy who scored over 30 goals two years ago in the OHL. And I did not see a guy who looked like he scored over 30 goals two years ago in the OHL playing this year. But when he took shots and when he was shooting pucks, you could see that he's a guy who can score goals but he was in, at least in my work, driving a lot more results through his playmaking. And so that makes me think that he was kind of rethinking his game a little bit saying, all right, I know I can score, but I need to round things out a little bit and get a bit more diverse and work off of my line mates a little better. And I think he was kind of getting there. I mean, look, I, I think that again, I really caution people when they look at Shane Wright going to four to say, well, he must not be as good as we thought. He was the alternate for Montreal. Like they interviewed both of those guys the day of the draft. And I imagine that was when they told them which they, which way they were going. And the, they didn't interview anyone else. So it very easily could have been Shane Wright that day. And he could have easily gone first overall. Like we're not, let's not pretend that Shane Wright was like not favored by anyone. And Seattle just went, Hey, he's probably good. So let's take him. Like, I think Seattle would be thrilled to land him. I think, you know, you know, like I, I, again, I think in this top range, there's going to be a lot of guys who I think will hold a candle to this top group in terms of overall player value. I know where you're coming from though, where it's like, I mean, I can't, I can't lie. I was, there was a lot of times watching this year, watching Shane Wright, where I'm going, if this guy's going first overall, and this is the best player available, I'm not so sure how I feel about this draft class. You know, there, there was a lot of just things that you wouldn't have expected out of a guy who was supposed to supposedly an exceptional player, according to hockey Canada. So I don't know. I, I think, I think Seattle's a good landing spot for him at the end of the day. 
Um, you know, he'll have tons of opportunity to play. He'll have tons of opportunity to work his way through his career without that much expectations right off the bat. I mean, you know, God bless Yuri Slavkovsky. I like him a lot. Welcome to Montreal. Like I was at the draft and the amount of attention he was getting and the screaming and the craziness and the hype that immediately came as soon as he was drafted, basically, it was palpable. Like you could taste it in the air that, that Montreal fans just like, they said, okay, we passed like the thought now, according to Montreal fans, it seems is we passed on Shane, Wright, So this guy better be really, really, really freaking good. And, you know, I think Slavkovsky will be a good analytics guy, solid producer. You put him on a line with, with Suzuki and Caulfield by virtue of just being there, he's going to score points. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's room to grow for his game. He's not, but again, it's the same thing with Shane Wright, where I'm watching Yuri Slavkovsky this year and I'm going, if this is the best player available in this year's draft, I'm not so sure how I feel about this class. But, you know, in five years, Slavkovsky could develop into a heck of a power winger. I think that's reasonable. And that's what, that's what I would guess, I think. It's just, it depends on your point of view. It depends on your opinion yeah. at this stage. And the draft is very subjective. And then I think once it became obvious that Slavkovsky was going to go one, then how two, three went weren't really surprising because the Devils, God bless them, they don't need more young centers. I think they have a few of them already. They just traded you know? one, right? They, they just they traded did, Well, Zaka. speaking of busted development, I mean, that, that's yes. a very busted development. So it, them taking defensemen was not surprising. And then once Arizona, you get to them, and they're probably like, we honed in on this guy. He's our guy. Yeah. We have to take him. So once that happened, you're not really surprised, right? Yeah, and so, no. and, and I want to go for these other two because Nemec kind of has the same thing that Slavkovsky did because he played at the big tournaments and everybody saw him. And finding defensemen like that are, you know, they're trickier to do at the top of the draft. You don't get many of them. So when you look at those picks, and as we head further down the top five, you're not, you can't be surprised the way it went two, three, four after that. And I know that the, the Kraken probably wanted defensemen, but when Shane Wright's there, you kind of have to. Yeah, just... no, yeah. I agree. Yeah, 100%. I think that's exactly how it went. I was told that New Jersey was straight up trying to trade that pick right up until the 11th hour. And if they were to use it, it was not going to be a center. That turned out to be true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that does make sense as to how it shook out. So, I mean, look, I'm, I'm cheering for Shane Wright. I, I, you know, you feel for the guy. He's He's been held on a pedestal for years now. And, you know, he, he wasn't the bell of the ball after all. And in fact, I think a lot of people were I mean, I saw a lot of really nasty stuff online about him and, you know, afterwards and, and, you know, a lot of good written stuff from, from a lot of people and, you know, whatever. I mean, he's a kid and I, I think he's he'll be children. Fine. Folks. Yeah, I think, I think he'll be fine. I, I think, I think Seattle is, is, is thrilled. At least I would be if I were them. Well, also when you think about Shane Wright and you think about being drafted as the number one overall pick for the Montreal Canadiens, you know, some people aren't necessarily, well, I'm not saying Shane Wright isn't, but some people, they might not do well with that sort of pressure. And not like right. Seattle is a market where there isn't going to be eyeballs on you, but it's a different kind of situation that he's going to be in, right? And, and when you talk about certain players and the way they're wired, like that's interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely. So now we move on to the rest of this draft. And my co-host, of course, has elucidated his thoughts on Cutter Gauthier and the Flyers. There's a lot more we're going to talk about with the Philadelphia Flyers in short order, I promise. But with this pick, he expected them to make it, and he was not particularly enthused. He probably would have gone Juracek, and I understand why. He's always had his thing with the development program and the level of competition. It's been a thing of his for years, and I completely understand where he's coming from and, of course, also what he likes and he looks for in prospects. So what do you think about him, and what are the Flyers banking on with a pick like this because – they're trying to re I don't think he can't rebuild. So they're trying to retool on the fly. And when you get a pick like this, this is a very integral part of such a move. Yeah. Um, I was not a huge fan of jumping on Goche at five. I mean, I get the appeal. He's got size. He's got really good hands. Um, really nice finish as well. Really good finisher. I just, I don't know. I mean, I guess once Shane Wright and Logan Cooley and, and Slavkovsky are off the board and, and, and Nemec, I guess you could say, like, Juracek was the one I probably would have pushed for, maybe. <laughs> you know, but you're, you see, this is what I mean. Like, once the draft hits a certain point, you can make an argument for a lot of players. And I think at five, you could make an argument for Cutter Goche, but I wouldn't be very favorable of it. Like, I think the idea 
everybody and their dog is saying he's going to play center. I don't recall seeing him play center at all this year. I think that he's a player who will have lessons to learn if he wants to play center at the NHL level. He's he's going to need to get stronger. He's going to need to get quicker on his feet. You know, he's going to need to bring a little bit more work rate off of the puck. You know, he was very inactive in a lot of the areas that I track. Very, you know, perimeter shooter. He was a guy who definitely can shoot the puck. Um, and he's got a lot of skill. And I think that that helps him score score as many goals as he did. I don't know. I It's, it's just a player where... I think Philadelphia is making a little bit of a reach and they're thinking, look, if we can turn this guy into a center and fill him out and get him stronger, then he might be a, you know, like a Kevin Hayes type guy, you know, maybe, maybe there's something like that, like a 200 foot guy who still has some offense to him. It's, I just think he has a bit of a ways to go and a few lessons to learn, but you know, I can't, I can't say it's a terrible pick at five. Like, I don't think it's easy to, it's not, it's not like I can look at any draft pick and go, this guy is terrible it's just going to be a matter of time and, and what happens with him. I just feel like the probability of him looking like a top five pick in retrospect, it, it would surprise me, you know, but being some kind of, you know, NHL player in the middle of your lineup and maybe playing on a power play somewhere that, that could be a possibility. That sounds like what Tommy was, ex- was explaining in our last show and sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it's not like something like an unforgivable pick. I mean, but I had him ranked at 23rd on my list and I just wasn't particularly taken with his game as it was outside of finishing and and that skill that he showed off once in a while, but it just, there was a, there was a bit of a ways to go, I think uh, with him. Yeah, I can understand that. can see with a draft like this, why a certain team would look into certain skills because you're kind of having to do more fine tooth comb analysis in a draft where, again, everybody's list, if we ever got to see them, would look wildly yes. different. 100%. And, 100%. And that's, and that's why you would see it, like, because Gautier went five. I don't know where he would have gone if he didn't get taken five. It's, a, it's an open question just based mm-hmm. on the way that this played out. Um, as we go along in the first round, what was a pick you really liked for whatever reason, a pick that hmm. uh, whether it be a fit, a skill set, something like that, because, you know, when you look at these, you go, again, I don't know a huge amount about these prospects compared to you. And it's, it's one of those where you, you go and you read what everyone's saying, you go, there are a lot of good picks in here, but there's gotta be one or two where that jumps out at you. as like, I, I really like what that team does. Or is there a signal from a different kind of direction? Yeah. that you haven't seen before easy easy answer for me is buffalo i mean i i mean matt matt savoy at nine you know i had him at seven but I, that was also a kind of soft seven where it's like look if someone you know if i'm sitting at detroit's draft table for example and i'm saying hey steve eisenman i really like matthew savoy here i think he'd be a good fit in detroit and he comes back and goes you know what i think we might want to go with marco casper Marco Casper was ranked 12 spots behind Matthew Savoy on my list. But, you know, again, in this draft, I would be able to be convinced that I would pass on Savoy for a guy like Casper. And so for Buffalo, you know, yeah, I think at nine, I think that's a perfectly acceptable area to draft him, especially when his teammate Connor Geeky goes two picks later. And I, I mean, I like the potential of Savoy a lot more, but I think Geeky has a bit of a, a more certain down, down, uh, downside or more certain floor, I guess you could say. But that's not even the pick I want to talk about. Like 16 and what was the other one? 28. Uh, taking Noah Ostland and Yuri Kulich. Like, I love Noah Ostland. I want nothing but the best for that guy in his career. Like, he plays a style of play where if it works, he's going to be just a ton of fun to watch. Like, super fast, super skilled, really smart player. Great hands. Um, you know, just needs to get stronger. He gets thrown around a lot and taken out of play a lot. Um, you know, he needs space to play with. And if he doesn't really have it, he can be, he, he, he needs, if he doesn't have space to play with, he relies on, on spinning off pressure and passing the puck to somebody else, which is fine, but you know, it's, there, there could be more there if he, if he sort of develops well. And I thought, I thought he was going to go a lot later. I, I have to give thumbs up to the Buffalo Sabres for, for taking a chance on him. I certainly thought that a guy like Liam Ogren would be gone before Osland. And I think Osland's a big swing for the fences that I respect. And Coolidge at 28 is almost like the opposite. Like I was kind of amazed he was still there at 28. I mean, he had a fantastic under 18 tournament uh, scoring a ton of goals, even if most of them were on the power play, but you know, the kid can shoot. He's a really smart 200 foot guy. 
Um, you know, I, I've said to a bunch of people that in my view with Yuri Kulich, he's going to be as good as he is strong. Like, I don't think he's going to be a top six guy, but if you pick 28, you get a really good third line offensive center who you don't have to worry about defensively. That's not the end of the world. And, and that's a pretty good pick. And I think Kulich, he's, I had him at 21 on my board. I love his shot. I love the sort of work rate he brings. I love the skill level. There's a lot to like about him and looking at some of the guys that went off the board before him. Yeah, I would have pounded the table pretty hard in, in Coolidge's favor, uh, favor, but uh, I thought Buffalo smashed it in the first round. And I think at least two of these guys could become pretty important members of the team. What I think is interesting is when you look at the teams that had the multiple picks, you're more likely to take a swing. Because like when you look at a draft like this, it's all about honestly gambles. And the more lottery tickets you have, the more you're willing to gamble. And yep. I think we saw that with some of the teams that had multiple picks. And I think the Sabres were a good example of that. And that's one of those where you could kind of see there is a change in the way they are doing business. Mm-hmm. 100%. Very, very clearly. And that's, again, for the Sabres, that's a good sign because the way they've been doing business for the last decade hasn't actually worked, unfortunately, for them. And so when you look at the other teams that had multiple first-round picks, did you see the same sort of thing? Or is, it, or is the Sabres the best example of a team that did the most with what they have? Um, I mean, I don't know if, cause not a lot of teams had three first round picks. Well, even, I, even I, teams like Minnesota who yeah. had multiple and Columbus who had multiple, you know, in Anaheim had multiple things like that. I think teams like that just made really solid picks at those picks like Columbus, you know, gear check at six solid Denton Matejchuk. That is a, I mean, that's a full send draft pick at 12. Like that is either going to, it's either going to work out really, really well for Columbus, or I don't know if Matejchuk is an NHL defenseman. Like it depends on his development, but man, if he hits, he's going to hit really, really hard. Uh, and if he doesn't, I don't know what role he's going to play in the NHL, but that, that might be a good example. I thought Chicago just picked two really solid players and a third that there's also, I guess, yeah, like Sam Renzel, uh, is a guy who I think, you know, you stash in college for a few years and see where his game goes. And I think there's a lot of potential for a guy like Sam Renzel in 25, that's about the beginning of where I'd start to consider taking him because he is such a project. Uh, and with other names on the board, I might've thought about some other names first, but Renzel is a really interesting swing for the fences for Chicago. Um, I'm looking for other teams that drafted multiple times in the first round. Arizona. Here, Ar- uh, well, yeah, Arizona. I mean, Arizona, we can talk about because I, they're a team that I think you absolutely see a brand with. I, and know, what they, is that they, brand other than the fact that they're playing in a college rank now, they want, which is a they, strong brand. Arizona clearly is targeting outside of Logan Cooley. They're targeting safe, you know, not put, not pace pushing guys that are big physical and, and, you know, focused on possession without a whole lot of flash. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I was kind of stunned. I'm not, I'm not surprised that Connor geeky was so highly coveted that he went 11th overall because someone else was probably going to take him in the next few picks. But boy, that was a lot to give up, uh, you know, when, when Arizona this year, you know, like, I think we're going to look back at who Arizona could have had if they had kept the pick at 27 and the other picks they gave up to see to San Jose to move up. You know, I, I think, you know, I, it's, I think that was, I think they got 27, 34 and 45, if I'm not mistaken. And I look at that and I go, look at those picks. You could have had Yuri Kulich. You could have had, uh, you know, uh, Brad Lambert. You could have had Gleb Trikazov. You could have had Seamus Casey. You could have had Jagger Fergus. You know, you and pick three of those. Lane Hudson, Adam Sikora, Cali Odelius. Like, you could have had three of those players, no problem. And instead, you trade up for a guy that maybe is a middle six center, a good third line center. Um, but he's big. And with Maverick Lamaru, I... Well, any six eight or something like that. He is. I think he's six seven, six eight, and you know he can skate pretty well for a big guy. Bobby but I, Hurley, I gotta get you a phone call. Arizona know, right? State basketball coach, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're, they're struggling in the, over there in the Pac twelve. I guess my 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 joke would now be uh, congratulations to the conference that gets the Arizona State Sun Devils <laughs> in realignment. You get the Coyotes with them. Yeah. Nice bonus present. Exactly. Yeah. There's a few candidates for sure in the coyote system. I mean, I look at Lamaru and I tracked him a few times this year and he was not particularly good. Um, it's, you know, it, look, he's, he's one of these guys where if an NHL team says, trust us, we can turn him into something. I can't say you can't, right? Like I can't, I, I, I don't know what they're planning for him. And I could see 
how if he fills out and if he gets a lot more a lot stronger i could see how if he moves pucks a lot better than he does now um you know builds a bit of deception into his game i could see how he could be a good sort of 200 foot guy but man i mean i, I never in a million years thought maverick lamaru would go off the board before guys like brad lambert isaac howard uh even defensemen like uh you know i like i like noah warren more than him matthias havlitz seamus casey christian Cairo. Uh, you know, these guys all, I think, bring more to the table now, but it really feels like they go, let's just draft the the six, seven guy who, you know, he can move. He's got a good shot from the point. Uh, but there's, I think in terms of becoming an NHL player, there's a long way to go. He's got reach, but I think, I think, you know, I, I don't want to go on too long about him, but he, I think he has this issue that really large players have where, like, I call it the triangle problem like where the distance between their feet and their the distance between their two feet and the distance between their stick blade and their feet is massive. Like just because they're so big, it makes a, a lot of space for pucks to go through you. And I just get the feeling that with smaller players, they just, if they manage their gaps a little bit better, they can keep all those points of contact between the puck and their body closer together. And with Lamaru, I just I saw a lot of times where dudes were just chipping the puck past him and just skating right by him or putting the puck through his legs and skating right by him or, you know, beating him along the boards because he just is too lanky to really sort of close those gaps. So I don't know. I can't say it's impossible, but, uh, you know, Arizona, I think, was a team that had a lot of picks and the types of swings for the fences they were taking are swings of like big guys hoping they get a lot better as opposed to good players hoping they get comfortable at high levels of competition. So, I mean, maybe that's two sides of the same coin, but they were questionable, I would say. Well, the other thing that was questionable, and to me the most questionable, talking about their draft was, you're all wearing the same suit? Really? <laughs> well, that, 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 at the draft, that was very, that was, well, they were welcomed very coolly, I should say, to steal the name of a player they drafted. They, they were, uh, that speech that the owner gave was, kind of weird and talking about your own arena of 5,000 people in front of people in the bell center the the um let's let's call it confidence to say that kind of stuff and and act as if they're not a you know I mean they're not a joke franchise but they're trying to convince us it was like a sales pitch right like it was trying to convince us that they're still around and they're, 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 that things are going to get better and it's like okay but this isn't the time to do that right the time to do that is on the ice you know you're at the draft make your pick yeah. and go away I and, know, I know. And so, yeah, it, 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 I didn't really mind the suit thing, whatever. It's just well, a suit. I, I, but... Well, I made the comment that it reminds me a lot of hockey culture because everybody's got to conform. You got to all dress the same way now, even if it's a bright blue suit with the Kachina logo in there. I'm like, okay, yeah. fine. But that's, that's, not my, that's not my thing. That's maybe yeah. my perspective of where it comes in. Let's focus on something else in this draft that I, I find interesting, which was the Russian players. Because certain teams are going to be willing to take swings on that now more than ever before, and certain teams were not. Yep. What would you, if you were advising a team in this draft specifically because of the unique concerns about Russian players right now, and this is not the traditional concerns about Russians, yep. this is, can we actually get them over here yep. because of what that is happening in that country? What would you have advised teams to do? Uh, I, would, I would treat it as you have to build relationships with these people. Like you you're trying you're trying to convince them you know for for example the carolina hurricanes they took a couple of german the germans they took a couple of russians wait a minute are we talking about konigsberg here no i'm kidding (laughs) yeah uh they took a couple of russians who i know a glad trikasov and vladimir gradin are are represented by an agent who has been very vocal about his stance on russia and he represents a lot of russian players and i got the feeling that you give that guy a call and if you're as passionate about those players as I was about those two, you could build a relationship and say, hey, like, why don't we bring you over? You know, shit is hitting the fan in Russia. Like, whether you want it to or not, you're, there are question marks about how your hockey seasons are going to go from here on until however many years away. And like, who knows what happens if you decide to leave in three years rather than now? Like, you know, there's there's cause for concern, I would say. Um but I think, I mean, if it were just like, if you didn't, if you didn't, I, I think there's a lot of guys who were in Russia this year that I watched and I thought, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to twist my own arm to draft these guys. Like, they're just not, 
guys that I'm super, super interested in anyway. And I wouldn't go the extra mile to say, hey, like, let's form a really good relationship here and, and let's bring you over. But there were some where I would absolutely have really pushed really hard to convince them that my team's program and what we want and that my team's program sees a lot of potential in them. And there was a few of those. Um, and I think that that's how I would approach it. I think certain teams kind of said, screw it. We're not, we're not going there. I think some teams treated it as if it was business as usual. And I know some teams thought of it as, well, it adds complexity, but we can work around that. And, you know, again, the thing, the thing with the whole Russia situation is uncertainty. No one really knows what's going to happen uh, in the next six, you know, three years as opposed, let alone like six months. So it's a big question mark. Um, but personally, I mean, like there was a lot of Russians that went off the board way earlier than I thought there would. I don't think the total number of Russians really changed that much this year relative to previous years. I mean, I'm looking at Dmitry Bichelnikov at 52 going to Detroit. Like I never in a million years would have thought he would have been drafted that high. And he's one of those guys where uh, if I'm watching him, I'm going, I'm not thinking that this guy is looking like a, a Russian player that I would go the extra mile for. He's perfectly fine and adequate as a player, but you know, I, I looked at guys like Trikhozov and Grudinin especially and went, yeah, those are guys that I would I would stick my neck out for and I would focus on the individual rather than Russia as a whole. But it's so tricky because you don't know, like with the even Fedotov situation, like you really like that comes out of nowhere and it suddenly becomes a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Like and you're hearing GMs and I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but they're saying it out of genuine concern. Like we would rather these guys stay here because we don't know what's going to happen when they go to Russia and what's going to happen if they try to leave. Yeah. Like, it is a reasonable concern. And Absolutely. hockey GMs and hockey scouts and these people have no idea about foreign relations. And <laughs> why would they? Like, I mean, I understand there was a time when that happened, but like these, these people are not wired to think that way. We have Russians in the league and Russians in the draft is standardized and common now. And this adds something to them that would have made it, I think a little bit trickier. And opportunity if you're smart about it and you have the relationship and that's why i think a team like carolina can get away with it because they've done this before yeah yeah for sure i, I think that's 100 percent true so we've been talking i guess a little negative about this i don't want to say negative but it's been a little not dour but a little <laughs> bit muted in our reactions what was your favorite pick what did you really enjoy about this draft what teams work did you really enjoy what player were you really happy got to go where they went uh <laughs> well we were talking about it a bit already but carolina was hilarious to me i mean they always are i mean i don't know i uh they they, they they may just be looking at my work and just looking over my shoulder a bit but i loved their just full send approach i mean i love gleb trickazov he's he was in my top 10 and they got him in this at 60 um he's a wild card but i love the guy they got another defenseman in my top 15 vladimir gradinin in like the sixth round or something fifth round um and Parav Alex Paravalov like I have time for Alex Paravalov and they got him in a reasonable range I would say um so I th thought they did pretty well I thought Seattle I mean Seattle bought low on a lot of guys um you know I know I know that uh, I'm just pulling up their list now that they picked like Shane Wright at four is a no-brainer Jagger Furcus at 35 is an absolute no-brainer I really like Yanni Newman I want him to work out he's young he's big you know if he if he just works on his agility and footwork and just brings up the pace of his game, I think there could be something there. David Goyette should not have been there at 61. Ty Nelson at 68. I think there's still a good player locked away there. Uh, I, I thought they did just really well, especially with those picks before 70. Um, beyond that, I, I thought they swung for value pretty decently, uh, even if it wasn't the most spectacular haul of players. But you know, it was, it, I thought Seattle did extremely well. Um, I'm trying to see other ones. I mean, if I had to pick one that I just loved, um, I, I, I really hope that the Winnipeg Jets know the type of player that Brad Lambert could be rather than setting the bar really high for him to prove that he's actually a top five guy. I, I want him to sort of think of this as a bit of a reset for him because I think that with Winnipeg, uh, you know, he's he's got, you know, I, I think there's going to got to be a bit of a runway, a bit of a leash given to him to sort of make mistakes and do stuff. But the talent for a guy to get the talent of that player to get him at 30th overall is is hilarious to me. Like I, I've seen Brad Lambert a lot this year. I think he does have issues, but I think a lot of them were exacerbated by the players he was playing with. Um, when he wasn't playing with the players he was playing with, he performed a lot better. 
I think that if Winnipeg sort of thinks of it as we are really happy that we got him and we're thrilled and excited and we want to see what he can do rather than, eh, he, he, we, you know, he was top five before the year. Like we don't know who else to pick at 30. Like he's good. You know, he's skilled. Let's see what happens. And, you know, even if he peters out as a, as a good, as an okay second line center or something that can transition the puck pretty well, I don't think that's the end of the world. And especially at 30th overall, but I, I think there's a lot to like there. He can do a lot worse at 30. And of course he has Manitoba connections, which is the only <laughs> thing that matters to the Winnipeg Jets. Right. Of apparently. course. So in terms of other things that I noticed, I mean, after hearing the Rod uh, Morozhenko story to see him get drafted 20th was pretty cool. Uh, going to the Capitals, obviously, you know, they know how to deal with, uh, with Russians. And mm-hmm. that was obviously, that was nice. I think in you, in, in a draft like this, you like good stories too. And I think yeah. that kind of sells it. And he was a great story. You yeah. hear about a player going through all of that and they're not yet what 19 or 18 and they're doing yeah. that and yeah. still get 20. That's, that could be, that could be a really interesting pick if he ends up being healthy and not in the hockey player healthy in the terms of, can you live your life healthy? And yes, absolutely. For him. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's entirely true. I was really pleasantly surprised when I saw him go off the board. I thought, I thought they would go with the Danili Urov there. I thought they would go with a Russian, but I did not think it was going to be Moroshnashenko. I'm happy though. I think, I think that that's a really interesting pickup. You know, he, he missed almost the entire, he missed a, a lot of time this year. As far as I know, he's in remission with his cancer. So I hope that that sticks and I hope that he, you know, gets a lot, gets healthy. Um, but yeah, I think with Washington, like kudos to them. That's an interesting pickup for them. It's one of those things where you kind of have to, I mean, and they, and that's one of those where they'll gamble on what they know and they have as good an experience with Russian players as any. And mm-hmm. that's one of those situations where like, I'm glad it worked out really well for him because that's not something anybody should go through, let alone at that age. Of course. Yeah. So that's a story. And I do have to say about Isaac Howard, you mentioned him before. When my friend Brock McGillis and take a drink, you're listening to one of my podcasts, <laughs> I mentioned him. When he says something publicly about a hockey player that he likes, you better take notice because that does not happen almost ever. <laughs> and I got to admit, maybe I wouldn't have done the night at the Roxbury suit, but I am sartorially challenged, the most sartorially challenged queer man on earth. But I mean, I like the boldness. I, I, oh. I got to give him credit for doing it. We need more of that in the NHL. We need more of that from draft prospects. I think that makes it fun. And yeah, he's going to the lightning. It's the lightning. I don't like them very much, but I mean, I, I have to give credit it. for this. I loved every minute of it. I don't care what people say. I know I want more fun in the league and I find it hilarious how many times I see people screaming about wanting more fun and then making fun of him for how he looks. And I don't know. I thought it was awesome. I, he came down from the stands to the star Wars theme, which was just hilarious um, you know, he just brought such Evil an empire, the Tampa Bay lightning. Yeah. He brought, he brought such a, such an energy to the, to the draft and, and, and such a swagger that I just love. And I get the feeling that the Tampa Bay lightning love it too. You know, I, I have all the hope in the world that he becomes a good NHL player. I mean, I think that he could be a top six scoring winger that can play off of guys in Tampa can, and they're going to need guys like that, but it, relatively soon, like, the guys are the, their group is going to get older. They're you know they're signing. They're clearly spending a lot of money today on guys that they want locked up long term, and that's going to hamper their cap situation. And a guy like Howard's going to come in handy. Um, you know he's unrefined, and I think he needs to sort of balance things a little bit with his with his game in terms of making it work at higher levels. But man, he's a fun player to watch when he plays. And and I thought at 31 he should have been gone well before then. Yeah. And, and it's great to see that confidence. Like I want yes. him to succeed because then future NHL prospects are going to go. Yeah, I can do that. Oh yeah. That's better for the league. And that's better for this sport and this stale culture of, Oh, you have to conform. It's team for like, no. Yeah. This, a lot. We're, we're, it's, it's the TikTok generation. I hate TikTok, but <laughs> it has done good for the world and that it's given people personalities. Please, all those, more all those, all those, a lot of those NTDP guys clearly came with a lot of personality like frank nazar at the at the draft you know he was <laughs> it was funny i think i think they were doing tv interviews with yuri slavkovsky and the crowd was just going nuts and he thought it was for him because as that was happening the blackhawks made their pick and it was him and he was like fist pumping the crowd and like smiling and like and his post-draft interview was really really good uh that they showed on the jumbotron and just you know such a great personality and 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 super super happy to be a black hawk and then they made him juggle hockey pucks on camera which was pretty funny um but yeah it, it, and rucker mcgrordy like biggest smile of the night 
he i was up in the 300s and there was an entire section of people who were just shrieking when he got drafted it must have been his family and friends who were up there and they were going insane and you know he seemed to love that he seemed to egg it on and you know same and with Isaac Howard like the the NTDP seems to be a really interesting program of like letting guys be themselves letting them joke around letting them you know act as if they're friends with each other and just have fun and and I mean it was all capped off with Isaac Howard and the, yeah the the American flag belt buckle just the cherry on top and that's, it was just it was just amazing call, it was man. bold it was bold and i love I it i would do not a nope. thing i would do but i wouldn't know. either but the fact that someone else did it i will support it <laughs> hey I, again if you've got that confidence fly yep. man i mean yep. back it up you got to back it up and do it uh, can i say first of all that's the loudest cheer i've ever heard for a rutger in or rutgers in long time very yeah. very obvious easy joke that i had to make and again, he's from Nebraska. Congratulations to Jim Delaney on your Big Ten genius. There you go. Go. We got we got, we got jokes about the Pac-12 and the Big Ten here. It's wonderful. I love what I love what I get to do now. It's great. Uh, in terms of teams, like, let's get to the Panthers. Before it's the end of the show, they had yeah. very few draft picks of meaning, but I wanted to get your opinion on a couple of them because there's a couple things they did that are worth talking about. They took another goalie. I mean, at this point, they have had success taking goalies late in the draft. It ended up netting them Sam Reinhart, something I think they should do. And there's a couple of other players that I think got some intrigue. I'm not sure how much impact you're going to get from a draft pick uh, beyond 90 at this point, which is what they had. But they're, they're seemingly developing a little bit of a thing, too, now in the third draft for this front office. So what did you think of it? Uh, I mean, look, I think in this year's draft, once you got to about 65 let's say there were very few players that i was really excited about left like this draft really dried up in terms of who i would really be pounding the table for pretty quick there were guys that i think that went as far as undrafted where i would be pushing for them to take a flyer on um but nothing where i'm like this guy's gonna be a rock star and i think i think that's really difficult to pick out i mean they started their draft with mark alsher i've only seen him a little bit he's one of these guys that i haven't seen a ton of and i watched a bit of him in preparation for this and i mean i get the feeling you might get a defense first guy like he's a smart puck mover i think he understands his limitations he's a good defensive defensive player but i think that there's not a whole lot of real upside that you're going to get out of him unless you sort of really develop him really, really well. I like Ludwig Jansen though. I I've seen him play a lot this year. I've tracked a couple of games and, you know, he's a guy who I think brings skill and, you know, his, his big thing is shooting from the point. I really like how he's able to sort of create offense from the blue line with his shot. Um, some good skill as well. Not the best defensive player. I think he does have a bit of limitations there, but he's, he's a, he's a nice, interesting toolsy defender that played against men for a long time this year. And I think I'd be curious to see what happens with him. The, the guy that I had, you know, the first player they drafted that I had ranked was Sanders Vilmanis and he was on my watch list for the year, just a really, you know, really skilled finisher, a really good sort of skill first shoot the puck really well kind of guy. Um, I, I like him. I think he's, you know, as far as I know, he's coming to North America next year to play in the OHL. And I feel like he'll be a good goal scorer there. Um, you know, had some moments of really just humiliating some defenders here and there. It's just a matter of bringing it defensively and bringing a bit more pace to his game. But one-on-one, -on -one, he's a tough player to beat. Josh Davies, I've seen a little bit of. I've heard some people really like him. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that maybe there's a good a good finisher there. He's a good, he's a decent shooter. I just, whenever I watched him, thought, eh, there's other guys that I'm more interested in. Muzelic, he's a goalie, an NTDP guy. Like, who knows what'll happen with him? And it's the sixth round or whatever. So who really cares anyway? Uh, and the last two guys, I think they're just two hardworking guys that may project as bottom six players, like Liam Arnsby. I know a lot of people really liked him. I know some people thought a, a lot higher of him going into the season. And I just did not see very much that I was really going to get behind with him, especially being on the older end of this draft class and playing on such a good team. I expected a little bit more exposure and upside and, and, and output from Marnsby, but I mean, he's a hard worker. He's physical. Who knows where that'll take him. Jack Devine, I think just a, just a value pick at 221. I was kind of stunned that he fell as far as he did. Um, you know, he, I think he had a tough adjustment in Denver this year. He drove pretty good results in the games that I watched, but I came away a lot more impressed with Jack Hughes in terms of NCAA guys that are first time eligibles. 
Um, but Divine's a well-rounded guy. I think there's 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 tools that are, are decent. But yeah, I think for Florida, look, you you, dra- you started drafting at 93. If you get anything, you've done well. Like if you get a guy who can plug into your fourth line for like two years, that's better than most if you start at 93. I don't think there's any guys here that are going to come out and be massive steals. Maybe, maybe Sandus Vilmanis, if he can really develop a lot because he's got that high-end skill and that high-end finishing ability right now. Ludwig Jansen has some high-end traits as well. I I think that there could be something there, but you know, I again, if you get something out of these guys, you've done well. Um, but the Florida Panthers, you know, I mean, they 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 drafted the way they did. They they drafted in the slots they did because they were trying to go for it, and uh, that was the focus rather than landing players. I thought they, I think they've drafted well over recent years, um, and I think with this class, I would be surprised if it was a massive haul for them, but. There might be a couple of guys that poke their head in the NHL and, and who knows where they go from there. Well, that's fine because yeah. the way that they've drafted, I mean, Lundell was obviously what we all thought he was going to be. He was awesome, even better than we thought. And some of those draft picks from 2020 ended up netting them players that they needed to go for it. And yeah. that's in one way, that's how you can have a successful draft. And it's too early to say about last year, but again, it's reasonable. And they have an idea of what they need they have an idea that they need to take check defensemen from the Portland Winterhawks for reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess, I guess they have a brand there too. John Ludwig and now uh, Merrick also. <laughs> I mean, we yep, like Merrick's on this podcast and that's for sure. Yep. Um, hey, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't know enough about these players to say anything. And I know Tommy liked Ludwig Jansen because it's always like drafting, def- drafting from Sweden and drafting defensemen from Sweden is never a bad idea. But what was uh, the team you liked their draft the most, whether it be players off your board, just, wise use of your picks value could be anybody who was yeah. who had the best of the draft in a draft where things got pretty wild and chaotic and it could end up in any direction once we look back on it i mean i wasn't a huge fan of seattle's draft last year but i really liked how seattle ended up this year i mean i would probably have passed on nicholas coco at 58 but i know i spoke to an nhl scout after that and i was like what was that all about and they said no like like people in the league, they like this guy. Like they think as a goalie, like you give him a few years, they, they like him. So they drafted him so that someone else didn't. And they, I don't think they drafted a goalie last year. I could be wrong, but it doesn't matter. The fact, the fact that they landed all of Shane Wright, Jagger Perkis, David Goyette and Ty Nelson as you know, like Ty Nelson was the sixth guy they drafted like that. It's just good value more than anything. I think in terms of guys that I like the teams drafted, I think Carolina as is tradition sits out in front. But in terms of actually coming away with something that I think builds a, a really interesting prospect pipeline, Seattle did a really, really good job this year. I mean, last year they drafted a lot of these high point producing guys as well. Um, you know, I've been telling people that the Seattle Kraken are basically doing the Byron Bader draft where they're just drafting high NHLE guys because that's what they did, did last year and this year. And, and you know what? You could do a lot worse in terms of draft strategy, I would think. Like, I'd say at least that's above the, the bottom of the league. You know, like, teams will draft worse. And I just, I think that based on what draft picks they had, could they have picked different players that I might have gotten behind a little more? Absolutely. But the fact that they ended up with four guys in my top 40 with picks that are in the top 70 and then another one in my top 70 in, in their top 50... I think that's perfectly reasonable. Yanni Newman could turn into something. David Goyette, there's nice, there's a nice foundation there. Ty Nelson, I think there's a good player locked away somewhere in there that just is kind of itching to come out. Uh, and you want to talk about swagger. That guy was drafted by the Seattle Kraken wearing a powder blue fedora and a powder blue suit. So I did notice that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So you wanna you wanna see someone who uh, manifested something. That might have been that. But yeah, I thought Seattle was the team that I look at and went, yeah, you know what? That's actually a really nice haul and they it put themselves in a good position. There might be other teams that might pull a rabbit out of their hat later on. And you go, well, in a redraft, they would go 30th, but right now they did really well. And I'd say that in terms of drafting off my list and guys that seem to jump out at me, that teams ended up with, I think Carolina's right up there too. And as we look at now the end of this draft that we look to next year, I don't think you could get two more wildly different drafts than the ones we're going to have. And apparently the draft next year is going to be in Nashville. So speaking of imbibing yourself, I mean, good <laughs> Lord, no there are going to be some drunk people next year <laughs> on Broadway on the roof of Tootsies. Don't fall off the roof of Tootsies, everybody. Right. Uh, so I, I like doing this because it's a chance that we can 
transition a little bit. And I know, I mean, it's going to be one of the most exciting drafts because of just the players involved. Like, and you know it better. Like, this is 2015, basically. It didn't feel like that. I mean, a little different because of, of Mitch Koff for obvious reasons. But it feels like this is the kind of draft. And, and one team certainly thinks so because of the yes. sports store tanking they're doing. Yep. But this is, this is that kind of draft that you don't get very often. And going from one that was kind of weakish in some ways to one that's going to be remembered for a very long time. I am abstaining from making predictions about the draft because this well, will, you can make one prediction. This, you know, who's going number one overall, no matter who I think, I think, I, I think I know who's one and two, I think, but beyond that, I have no idea. And I don't really care right now. I think, I think that the thing, you know, I, I always love hearing people talk about next year's draft the week after the draft, the previous year happens because it never turns out the way people think it will you know, guys come and go all the time. Like if you had told me a year ago today that Brad Lambert would go 30th overall to the Winnipeg Jets, I'd tell you you're nuts. And I think a lot of people would too. People, things change. And I've heard, I heard a lot about how good this year's draft was going to be two years ago. I heard a lot about how good 2021 could be in 2019. Like people talk about how good every draft is. And it's just, it, it, you know, like I think next year's draft, when I look at the players that are available, I think that the group of players that could be, you know, in that, let's say top, the, the top, top, top end, I think is better. I do think that that's true. But beyond the first two names, I would say, which to me are Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli, I think there's a larger group of players that could be real difference makers rather than this year where there's a lot of potential difference makers. But again, I'm, I mean, I'm starting to go through 2023, like when it's late at night and I just need something to do before I pass out. It's, it's, you know, I, I'm looking at these guys and I'm going, okay, like, let's see, like, let's, 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 there's, there, there, there's a good group, but let's see, because there's a long way to go. But, but I definitely, definitely agree that, I mean, if I had to pick between Connor Bedard and Yuri Slavkovsky, I know exactly what I'm doing. If I had to pick between Adam Fantilli and Yuri Slavkovsky or Simone Nemich, I know exactly what I'm doing. So we'll see what happens. We'll see where it ends up. But uh, it's it, it's an exciting group from the perspective from my perspective right now. But I'm not. I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself. I think it's funny because you very rarely hear not just about one, but two or three a year out from a draft like this. Mm-hmm. You can get one, maybe you'll get two. You don't often get this number. And that's why I'm saying it is reminds you of 2015 and 16, where the top end was so incredible, right? And yeah. with, 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 with Bedard, I mean, I knew who he was a couple years ago, and that never happens. Right. You know, and Mitchkoff, you don't hear about that for, you know, a year maybe, but not two years. And so these names, they jump out at you. And I think that's what makes the society. But also from your perspective, we're now going through a development cycle where the worst of the pandemic effects, seasons being shut down, are probably done. Yes. At least we hope. And that, I think, played a really big role in the last couple of drafts because these guys lost development time because the pandemic wiped it out. We are now at a point where that's probably not the case anymore. And yep. that, I think, adds an extra layer to your draft analysis, even now, because there were just gaps you would have in your ability to scout because they didn't have games. So you go over the same tape over and over again. And now with these guys, we're now back to the normal in air quotes universe. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that is going to make a difference. I don't know exactly, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I do think it'll be a year where it'll be a fresh start for a lot of these guys, especially the OHL guys where they were drafted. And I believe it would be 2020. And then last year where they were their rookies, it was their rookie seasons and they played a full year uh, mostly. And this year, you know, it's going to be another full year and they'll be able to get moving. So yeah, I, I see what you mean. I think, I think the players affected most were the Canadian ones. I think, you know, other countries, especially overseas, they managed to find ways to play games. Uh, whereas here in Canada, we handled things a little bit more cautiously with regards to COVID um, but I think moving forward, yeah, I mean, knock on wood, we're through the worst of this, this nightmare and insanity. Um, but you never know. Uh, but I, 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 I am optimistic that this group is going to be able to, to show that there's a lot to like there. I think there are a lot of good players that, that have shown well to this point. Um, but we'll see what happens. And I'm going to have to get you out of here because we are recording this on free agency day. Uh, is there, there are a couple moves we already joked about here already, but uh, 
Well, what are your takes on that? We're going to have another podcast going with free agency talks in, in just a little bit, but is there anything that jumped out at you? When, um, right, like, well, we saw a couple of contracts today that are just like, are you sure about that, guys? And it's not yeah. the usual suspects that are doing it. It's, it's not the Ottawa Senators. I feel good for all of you. I really do. You got too many jokes made at your expense, <laughs> and you deserve something nice, and you're getting something nice. Yeah, I mean, you. I think the Senators – you know, they got, they got, I think the big thing for the senators isn't a signing they made, but really it's uh, the, the Debrinket trade like that was that kind of shook up things in Montreal quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to, I'm just scrolling through a list of all of these pickups. I mean, I do kind of like that the, the, the avalanche kept Josh Manson and did it for under $5 million a season for the next four years. Like that's a pretty decent little tidy pickup. Um, for a guy that I thought played very well for that team last year through it through into the playoffs. Um, other than that, I mean, there's a, there was a lot of silly money being spent, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm just scrolling through here. I mean, Tampa clearly spent a lot of money today. Um, just I like their their guys. I yeah. Mean, like extending archery Lekkonen as well. I thought was a smart move. Oh, for, that's, for that Colorado. was, that was one of those where that yeah. was one of those where like, he, 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 how much did he cost? like four and a bit that's and just for, great business like, would, by the abs yeah for the same amount of money as ben Sherratt signed for right well no, a little yeah. a little bit yeah yeah i mean you know, i mean different different roles but i much rather would have arturi lekkonen on my team i mean i have to say as the ben Sherratt experience it wasn't really that bad but i mean <laughs> i get it i i get it and listen i i've already rehashed that we don't need to rehash it exactly but i mean i also needed a laugh because there's a lot of chaos that happened today. And I got to say, thank you very much, Steve Eiserman and Yarmo Kekalein, and for giving <laughs> the chance to laugh. I mean, just, just they opened the, the wallet. They did. I mean, again, Eric, well, I also, I mean, think about who works at the Blue Jackets front office now and signing Eric Goodbranson. That was the, that was the computer boy. And that was six years ago now. Mm-hmm. Oh, my word. That, yep. I didn't expect Columbus to do that. And we still haven't seen where Johnny Gaudreau and Nazem Kadri are signing yet. Yes, which is also quite something. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought Vancouver getting Andre Kuzmenko was also, I mean, that was, we knew that was coming, but I like Kuzmenko quite a bit as a KHL free agent. Um, I mean, Claude Giroux, we'll see how it goes. Well, you know. I mean, I'll say this about Giroux, and if there's any Sanders fans listening, I thought Giroux got his joie de vivre playing hockey again when he played with the Panthers. I mean, it was easy. That team was great, obviously. And I think if you get him in this situation, you could have something very, very fun. And I think mm-hmm. he's still going to be a great player. And for the young players that they have there, that's, that's perfect. It's good. I wanted yeah. him to stay in Florida, but if it was going to be anywhere else, like Ottawa, it's great for that team and it's great for that market. They deserve it. Well, that's, yeah, that's just fun. Like that's, that's, that's what you want. Right. And, and for me, I mean, I'll talk more about the Panthers later and the Flyers later. We'll, we'll do plenty of that. But I, I think just for me, I'd go like that's that, Ottawa's had a great day. Um, I mean, I personally, I wouldn't have given seven years to Vincent Trocek, but <laughs> me, I mean, I like him, obviously I plenty of experience. I don't know if I would have done that. And there, there are a lot of interesting players that haven't signed yet. So we're, we're, we're still there. And uh, apparently Dennis Mulgood's coming back to the Leafs because, you know, everything comes full circle now. And I do want to say, I would have liked the Panthers to keep Mason Marchment, but he'll be good in Dallas. And I am very pleased he is not in the Eastern Conference anymore because I didn't <laughs> have to deal with those revenge games. Yep. But he, he'll, he'll, he'll do perfectly well. I love the fact that he developed the way he did. And he got to, again, after all he went through, he got to make money. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Will, as we get to finally wrapping up what has been a very interesting recording session, I have to say. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of chaos but we, we we work through the chaos that's what we do uh where can people find your work if they haven't already found it yeah so you can find me on twitter and youtube mostly uh twitter.com slash scouching or youtube.com slash scouching you can also find my work on mckeenshockey.com uh we just put out our first draft recap of the of the year today profiling the western conference uh where me Brock Otten and Sam McGilligan all went through our top 10 picks of the draft that we just liked for whatever reason in no particular order. 
Um, I'm also going to be putting out uh, draft recap videos in the coming weeks uh, on my YouTube channel. There's going to be one for every team that'll come out once every day. I just am finishing up my notes and everything on the guys I have not seen because I would like to know at least something about everyone who was drafted. Um, beyond that, uh, it's going to be pretty quiet for me. Uh, my live streams don't really start up again until probably November or even December of this year. So I'm going to be off for quite a while, but uh, you can always look back at my work and, and read the uh, read the articles on scoaching.ca and, and everything you ever wanted uh, can be found on there. So, uh, yeah, happy to be on and uh, thank you very much. And we'll always there's so much work that you do. That's great. That does take a lot of time to, to go through it all. I mean, it's fun. Like, what, are we, what else are we going to do for the next two months? Yep. We can actually watch the World Juniors in the middle of August. Come on, oh, people. I forgot about that. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Are you actually going to – if you say, no, man, I'm going to a beach, I would absolutely 100% tell you, it's, no, no, you're good. It's 2022. I can watch hockey at the beach if I want to. So Okay, okay. i got to have to ask, would you be the kind of person that's like, I'm going to open up my TSN app on the beach somewhere, and I'm going to watch the mm, No. <laughs> good. As much as I love junior hockey, I would watch it afterwards on tape delay. That's, again, I, I appreciate you saying that because we all need to know our limits. Yep. Thanks again, Scouch. It is yeah, awesome to have you. One of our yeah. favorites. Appreciate it again. Yeah, anytime, Matt. Thanks.